This episode is sponsored by ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash PMP and download the ZocDoc app for free to find a top-rated doctor today. This is Pretty Much Pop, a cultural podcast playing God with ideas that will surely get loose and kill us. Today we're talking about the Jurassic Park film franchise that began in 1993 based on two novels by Michael Crichton in light of the latest film, Jurassic World Dominion. I'm Mark Lintonmeyer. My gaps filled in with sloth DNA. My name is Lawrence Ware, longtime, I wouldn't say contributor, guest on this podcast. My gaps filled with raptor DNA because I'm a beast. My name is Sterling Brook. I am a professor and novelist, and my favorite thing about dinosaurs is that they're not around anymore. Rolando. (laughs) And I'm Rolando. Yeah, this is my third time here, right? My dirty third. At least. Uh, Yeah, uh, so fun. And uh, I guess my DNA gap is filled with pug DNA because constantly hungry, constantly just want to sleep. That's my life, man. Pugs are great. I love pugs. Very nice. So, Rolando, you said you just covered this last week on your Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals podcast. Hopefully, we can give you some different way to, are the questions that I, I always put a little note sheet together, are we covering similar <laughs> ground, or is this... We're covering similar ground. I think, you know, not for nothing, but there's not much to say about this franchise other than dinosaurs are cool. And uh, you can only say that in so many ways, but I actually... Just to get right into it, like the quality of the films has declined over the years, obviously, but like I still enjoy watching these films like, you know, the dinosaurs. Anybody want to have a strong take against that? (laughs) The mere presence of the spectacle of cool looking, increasingly elaborate. I mean, they they put feathers this time. Those are hard to render. Those are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that make it worth the price of admission? I mean, I was talking to my husband about this. It's like, why do you come to these movies? It's because you want to see people try not to get eaten by dinosaurs. That's the whole appeal. That's why I've somewhat enjoyed them. Uh, Yes, they have decreased in quality, Rolando. I agree with that. But that's why you come to these movies. I'm going to come at this from a different perspective. Yes, they have decreased in quality. Yes, the story making doesn't make any sense. I was really irritated by the whole clone story. That was really not Mm -hmm. good and all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. I went to the movies with my sons and they loved it. They loved it. They don't care about the nuances that we're talking about. They don't care about cinematography. Cinematography is pretty good. They love that there was a really cool action sequence in Morocco, I think that was, with dinosaurs jumping. It was Malta. Malta, Malta. They love the dinosaurs in the underground cavern that was scary, even though those dinosaurs would not have behaved like that. But that's fine. We'll put it to the side. Listen, kids love it. And this movie is making gangbusters. So we can talk about all we want to about how the movie is not that great, because it's not that great. But honestly, people love it. And we have to reckon with that. Like People are kind of stupid, and they like summer entertainment that doesn't require too much. And so this gives them that. And I'm in that mentality, right? Where I think, yeah, movie is not that good, but I paid full price for this and I'm not mad. Like I knew what I was going in for and I got what I paid for. So they asked me to write about this for the New York Times. I chose not to because I don't like trash movies because I would have trashed this if I like turned on my critical eye and all that kind of stuff. Because the movie is it's not good. It's not a good movie. I thought that the last movie, uh, Fallen Kingdom, wasn't very good either. The first one was pretty good. Jurassic World was pretty good. But listen, it does something to the populace. Like, they enjoy it. And so let them have their enjoyment. It's like the Marvel movies. The Marvel movies are not very good anymore. They're just not. in Decreasing quality. 
but people enjoy them and it makes a lot of money. So I'm going to let people have it. And my, my sons love both Marvel movies and these movies. So I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. I throw my hands up and I'm done. I have no idea. This movie is trash, but it's very good. Who knows? Does it have to make sense? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. This movie makes no sense. I mean, I, I you explain to me the clone, the little girl who's a clone, that story. How does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So this is from number two. So number two, Fallen Kingdom, is such a forgettable film. And I didn't rewatch it going into the third one because I didn't like that one enough to like rewatch it. So when I came to the third one, I'm like, who is this girl? Why is she? What a MacGuffin. And she said, I didn't like that enough to rewatch it. <laughs> I didn't like it enough to rewatch it. Yeah. And so when I came into the third one, I was kind of a little bit blind. I'm just like, I don't I don't remember the clone girl. And why is she so important? And apparently she's like this being who could like cure all diseases with her DNA. Right. So it was just like, uh, it, it was silly. And this movie felt the least Jurassic Parky to me. Absolutely. I just watched because I just had COVID. So I had plenty of time on my hands to watch all these <laughs> movies again. But the, the fifth one, I guess, technically the fifth movie, that was the big reveal at the end. And I barely remembered it, too. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the big reveal is that she's this clone. Right. And so now we're going into this movie and I had to sort of jog my memory a little bit of a movie that I just watched, you know, like a week ago. Now, does anyone remember? So she's John Hammond's granddaughter no so it's john hammond's secret partner okay, who was revealed okay. <laughs> in the previous movie retconned in because the hammond bloodline you think you could do something with those kids either those actors or recast them as grown-ups have it be their legacy but no no i actually had to look up so the the bad corporation is the competitor corporation from the first movie. I did not realize the uh, InGen versus Biosyn, that I guess it's InGen most yeah. of the time and it's Biosyn this time. Anyway, but so the one that the Wayne Knight character, the whole reason the first movie things get screwed up is because there's corporate espionage going on. So it's apparently even the guy that Wayne Knight meets with is supposed to be the same character as the one, oh. as the villain played by Campbell Scott in this one. Not the same actor. But I just read that somewhere that it's supposed to be one in the same, you know, that continuity is supposed to go through that. Those corporate thieves, they won that they, for whatever reason, they just sort of set that up at the beginning. Oh, they have a monopoly. They have, for some reason, been giving license to gather all these animals together in, you know, their own preserve. So my guest co-host last week, Mackenzie Green, she's a diehard fan of these Jurassic Park films. And we... Uh, the three of us together, me and Nicole and Mackenzie, could not figure out who he was this owner of this new company. We thought he was Newman's son. I call him Newman because I know him from, I know him from sure, Bible, yeah. obviously, but I thought it was his son because he had that Barbasol can. I was just like, wait, how did he get in his possession? Because last we saw it, it was lost in Jurassic Park. I know. That was seemed like such a dumb <laughs> addition. I was like, I did not need that. <laughs> but whatever. This was a whole movie full of unnecessary Easter eggs and things like that. There were so many. I just felt like this poor director was just throwing everything in the kitchen sink in there with it. It was just so, so much in two and a half hours. Did this movie have to be two and a half hours? I guess so, because it was every single thing, every single character. But I would say, yes, the movie had to be two and a half hours because let's be honest. All right. The story machinations, we'll put it to the side. I'm going to let you guys argue about whose son is whose and whose clone is whose and whatever. <laughs> the dinosaurs are cool. Full stop. Dinosaurs are cool. They are beautifully rendered. They're cool. I had a good time. I thought the locusts were pretty cool as well. Like, I agree. It made no sense, but they, they were cool. <laughs> the big bad whore things. Fine. 
do the locusts kill you? Like the children that were being chased at the beginning, they just got scared I by a bunch of... I think they maybe could kill you, maybe. I think they're predominantly herbivore, but maybe they'll bite you, I think, and then test the waters a little. If enough bites happen, like you might die. The sequencing or the rendering of those locusts when they're flying was absolutely jaw-dropping. Like I was very impressed with that. Just seeing them fly, I love that. And also seeing them in that enclosure, too. I thought that was pretty amazing. And this movie definitely has some pretty impressive set pieces. But again... Yes. But let's go further. And then when they set the locusts on fire, which made no plot sense, it made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and then there let was it no out. Reason to, but it went out and it was beautiful, though, dog. It was beautiful. <laughs> that was beautifully done. I find it interesting that you guys think that the renders were beautiful. I think, yes. The renders were nice to look at, but I didn't get that awe that I used to feel when I watched the first Jurassic Park, right? Like, there was that scene early in the film where, like, we had, like, the long neck, I think it was a brontosaurus, like, with the construction crew. And it's, like, this scene that's supposed to be majestic and beautiful. I felt so cold and distant from it. I was just like, it's a CGI render, right? Like, I do miss the practical effects of the original film. And that's why the original film, even when I saw that re-release, I think, like, eight years ago, seven years ago... Even that one still holds up, right? Those practical effects hold up. And you can tell when actors are using, like, actual practical effects. Like, you know, for example, Sam Neill, he's holding, like, the locust. And it's, like, all gooey and, like, gross. Like, you can tell that's, like, he's physically holding something. He's interacting, right? And I think that's my beef with CGI nowadays. It's how studios have become so over-reliant on it. And it just doesn't have the same appeal That's so true because that first movie, remember when Sam Neill lies on the stomach of that one and he feels it breathe that still, I just, you know, like I said, I just watched these movies and it still holds up. I mean, that Mm -hmm. is some, not just like great effects, but also great direction too. Mm -hmm. Like the direction in that movie, because they had so much less to work with 20 years ago than they do now or 30 years ago. Good grief. I mean, but wait, 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 wait. That was Steven Spielberg. That is, yes, this is true. <laughs> well, he also directed the second one, too, which sucked. Wait, okay, wait, wait. I enjoyed the second. Now, it's not good. I will admit that it's not good. It's not as good as the first, but... It's, no, it's not as good as the... It's good. I enjoyed it. It is way better than a lot of the sequels after that one. Absolutely. First of all, this we have Dr. Malcolm. He has like a random black daughter, right? And uh, first of all, just see Man, him doing don't even like get the, me started. Don't even get me started on his no random black daughter. But I was like here for it. And then to see her do the gymnastics and hit a velociraptor, yeah. I've never seen that before. And that is me forever too. ingrained in my memory. You know? And then and then whenever the Tyrannosaurus goes to like was it Kansas or San Diego? I forget where he went. Yeah, yeah, and it then, was in the city. And then the Tyrannosaurus like goes into this like backyard and like eats the I think it was the dog there, and like yeah. the chain was hanging. The chain from is hanging out. Yeah. That is great filmmaking. I'm sorry, yeah, like it is. And the reason you know it's great filmmaking is because like he made scenes that are just forever ingrained in your head. Right? Absolutely. Where I think the other ones, like I think maybe here and there, like you'll find like something that's memorable, but nowhere near as much as like the Lost World. So you can still tell it's a Steven Spielberg film. So yeah, not as high quality as like the original Jurassic Park, but it is still a fun movie that still I think holds up as far as the sequels are concerned. Listen, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that original Jurassic Park is a 10. Jurassic Park 2 is an 8.5. But it is light years ahead. And because those were both based on books, that a little bit of the material from the books, like the pterodactyls, leaked into number three because they couldn't budget-wise or whatever put them in number two. But as sci-fi, I did think that they tried in the new things, like this whole 
once you're genetically engineering something, then you're going to genetically engineer other things. And like, so the thing with the locusts, at least to me, made thematic sci-fi sense. Like even if the exact, like, you know, why does he exactly need to study the exact clones? The whole MacGuffin character of, of the baby Velociraptor and of the clone girl made no sense. But in terms of the overall, I felt like it was pretty consistent throughout so i saw the new one after only having seen the original jurassic park like in the last decade saw it in 3d i don't know did you see this in 3d the new one the new one no no i didn't see it in 3D. so nobody in, that i know ever wants to go see movies in 3d it makes them dizzy or something so i went by myself and i i did a 3d setting and it was the best 3d that i've ever seen like i, I recall seeing an animated one in 3d a number of years ago and thinking like this is how 3d is supposed to look when you have complete control as opposed to the hobbits or whatever, the other things where, but it was kind of like, it's still, there was some sense of detachment, like looking at, you know, those dioramas at the museum where you like look in little glasses and it shows you they've created some little three, like that's what I felt like I was looking at. It was not awe inspiring, but it was cool. And I could see the details and I really appreciated that it actually worked. Like they know how to do this movie making now. But there were things like the, I'm on a bike and I have to jump on a plane. Right before it takes <laughs> off that I was like, this is only tangentially dinosaur related. Like there's a dinosaur chasing him. Yes. But why does it have to be like this close call? But then I, after that, over the last couple of days, I watched the rest of the movies, including Fallen Kingdom. And that kind of stuff is in all of them. They're always just looking for like ways that people can narrowly escape dinosaurs by doing crazy ass stuff that Rolando, you mentioned that I hated that gymnastics thing when I originally saw it. I thought that was the dumbest thing in that whole movie. But a lot of people do. A lot it of people brilliant. do. But I'm here for it. Like it's just the optics of seeing a little black girl kick a Velociraptor's ass. Come on, like it was brilliant. I have no qualms with it whatsoever. I know it makes no sense. I know it's silly, but man, it is great filmmaking. It's fun. You know what though? It just felt like as the movies have progressed, the characters themselves, especially in the last three or the most recent three. The character, the main characters, I don't feel like they're in any danger. I'm not worried for them at all. I can't put myself in Chris Pratt's shoes. The fact that he's a dinosaur whisperer makes him almost like a superhero. The way that he, I was not worried for him while he's riding that motorcycle. I'm like, he's got this, you know, whereas in the original film, I was worried for those kids. I was worried for the adults. I was thought you could go any direction here. Whereas the movies have progressed, I felt less, except for somebody who was deserving of it. You know, one of the baddies was going to get it. Fine. But to that point, I think that's why some of the original characters just from the original one, even their names are more memorable. Even like I was able to not just picture them visually, but I remember their names as characters. Right. Dr. Grant, Dr. Ian Malcolm. Right. I have no idea what Chris Pratt's character's name is because I just know him as Chris Pratt. I don't. uh, Bryce Dallas Howard (laughs) is just Ah. Bryce Dallas Howard. And that's not necessarily attributed to their celebrity status because you know i know star lord from the marvel cinematic universe so it's just like it's just these characters almost generic to a point i mean i guess whispering to dinosaurs is kind of cool but outside of that like what is he he's just you know an action hero we don't have any idea what his background is we don't know i mean there's a backstory listen okay i'm gonna push back against everybody here but mark because here's the (laughs) issue because Mark hasn't really said anything for me to push back against, but I would if, if he had said something. The first movie was the first movie. And so you're introduced to everyone, and so everyone is at stake. By the time you get to the sixth movie, you have established relationships with people. 
you have. So, for example, going back to Jurassic Park to the Lost World, I think it was called. I was never scared for Ian Michael. I was never scared for him to die because I knew that he was going to survive because he has, he has plot armor now. because He's, you know, a continuing character. So I think that the issue here is that you guys are upset. Like part of the reason why going back to Marvel, part of the reason why that final, whatever that last movie, Infinity War, I think it was, uh, the reason why that movie was so memorable was because you had established characters who died, right? Or who faded away in the course came back, but you had established characters who died. So like, Iron Man, gone. Captain America didn't die, but he's gone, right? And so that kind of raises the stakes. Like, I never in a million years thought that anyone was going to die in the most recent Jurassic Park movie because all of them are established characters. Like, maybe you could take out Chris Pratt because, I mean, maybe, but I really wasn't really that concerned about that. So I'm looking for the thrills and having fun, but I'm not really worried about the stakes of who's going to die, who's going to make it. I just just know who's going to make it because of plot armor. Even for the third final one for this trilogy right like we introduced some of the original characters i feel like this was the perfect opportunity to kill off an aging cast here i will say this i wanted them to die because it would have been a fitting conclusion but i didn't really think they were going to die because i kind of don't think that this that they're done with these characters ian malcolm should have had a great like i told you and then he gets beaten (laughs) (laughs) or that callback right that callback scene at the end where he's He's waving the with the flare. Yeah, and I flare. thought because I thought that's where I was like, oh my god, this is it. This is that's his it. moment. He's gonna die for his friends. And that would have been great. I thought that would have been great. Finally we have some stakes. But even still, like the Chris Pratt character, I can't relate to that guy at all. And not that I can relate necessarily to a paleontologist, but at least they're kind of fit it's a fish out of water story too. You can put yourself in their shoes. What would I do as just a person? If I had to confront a T-Rex, like, what would I do? And that's actually the beauty of these movies is you get to see what happens. Whereas, you know, especially in these last three, it's like, he already knows what to do. He just sticks his hand out and he gives them a really stern look, (laughs) you know? So one character that I was actually able to relate to was the character played by DeWanda Weiss, Kayla Watts, right? Because she acted... As I feel like any normal person would when they see dinosaurs. Did you scream in terror, run for your life? They gave her, she was both cool, but still very relatable. And I think she was also sassy to the point where it's just like, yeah, like, of course, this is how I'm going to, like, I'm a minority in this situation. I'm going to be completely assholish to these uh, white people who got me into this danger. But she also had plot armor because normally the supporting cast for sure gets eaten. But like, no, if we're having a supporting cast so we can have more diversity representation, we're sure not going to have them eaten either. Like, so you knew that she and the sort of junior, the guy that was helping them, you know, who was supposedly the protege of the bad guy, like neither of those people were going to get eaten. Like, so it just made, again, everybody had plot armor. There was no, <laughs> there's no risk to anybody. That's so funny right. because in my experience, being diverse is enough armor usually for some of these characters. I feel like those, those are usually not. the first today, to be expended. Today, <laughs> maybe. There's a whole history of 80s horror movies. <laughs> oh, of course. And that's, a, God, that's, that's exactly why we have this thing now. I was looking up the name of the character, the uh, hunter in the first half of the second movie. Roland Tembo is the character's name. Pete Postlewaite is the guy. So he was like the big bad, I'm going to hunt a T-Rex for sport. And he does not die. All of his underlings die. And they're like, don't you want to come to us to San Diego to see how this turns out? And he's like, I've been in the company of death too long. And he leaves the movie. The only smart character. <laughs> and that felt unsatisfying. Like, this person is horrible. We want to see him eaten. 
but he learned a lesson. <laughs> Maybe in the post credit scene, he like, you know, dies on the toilet or something that there's he just, Oh, I have cancer. <laughs> how more, no, how more noble it would have been to die by a dinosaur eating me than getting this ass cancer. <laughs> Actually, that guy who died in the toilet is still my the funniest death scene, I think, in the Jurassic Park series. Wasn't there a guy who was plucked off the scooter in this one, though, when they're in Malta? First of all, the Malta scene actually didn't make any sense because there's a certain point where, like, dinosaurs are running free and the people are still around in that circle, like, throwing money in. It's just like, it looked like a Street Fighter set piece. See, I only remembered this when I then saw The Fallen World, the number five is because they have the laser gun. We've bred these dinosaurs and trained them so that if we shoot the laser gun at you and push the button, then they will target only you. This is why they can have a military application. And so that's why they can run freely through a city and apparently only chase our heroes. I bought that because a big corporation, you know, you're going to try to get into that military industrial complex, right? And what's scarier than dinosaurs? (laughs) Like velociraptors just chasing you. Yeah, what could go wrong? Well, yeah, exactly. well, maybe that should be the next movie or that should have been this movie. I guess there's a lot of, like, at the beginning, the sort of montage of, like, oh, here's dinosaurs interacting with people. Like, that might have been better to focus on it as a global phenomenon rather than let's have a park and have everybody go to the park and redo the movie that we've done a million times mm-hmm. and they're just trying to escape the park. That's time for our sponsor break. I want to tell you about Raycons Everyday Earbuds. These are great sounding and very affordable. They're about half the price of other premium audio brands. I love the little case that they come with. The case itself actually holds a charge. You put them back in the case and it turns them off. You don't have to like hit a button to turn them off and charges them. According to the copy I have here, Raycons give you eight hours of playtime, a 32 hour battery life. I certainly have not had problems with them shutting down when I'm out and about and you will take these out and about. They are so nice. They're flexible. There's an awareness mode that I just tap my right ear and I can hear better what's going on around me so I can just wear them in the grocery store, wear them out and about. And they've got optimized gel tips. Earbuds tend to fall out of my ears and these do not. I use them for jogging, whether I'm doing podcasts, whether I'm doing music. Go ahead and upgrade your listening environment. Go to buyraycon.com. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash pretty today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash pretty to score 15% off buyraycon.com slash pretty. Finding and booking a doctor who's right for you does not need to be a terrible experience. Will they take your insurance, understand your needs, or be available when you can see them? With ZocDoc, the answer can be refreshingly a pain-free yes. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. So it is an app. You can use it on the computer, as a website. You could use it on your phone. When you feel like something should be checked out, you just go search among all the types of doctors. You'll see the ones in your area. You can read up on them. You can get verified patient reviews, see what other actual humans had to say about their visits. It's only going to show you ones that take your insurance. And right in the app, you can choose a time slot, whether you want to see the doctor in person or do a video visit. And just like that, you are booked. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. I am one of them. It is my go-to whenever I need to find and book a doctor. In a chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor in a way that's surprisingly pain-free. Go to ZocDoc.com slash PMP and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C 
ZocDoc.com slash PMP. ZocDoc.com slash PMP. When I was looking at commercials, I thought this movie was going to be about dinosaurs in our world. You know, dinosaurs taking over New York City and stuff. And that's the movie I wanted to see. I was like, that's finally an interesting idea. But nope, we all ended up at, you know, some remote location. Um, and then the dinosaurs ended up being locked up away anyway. I wonder how much COVID plays into that, because this was made during the COVID pandemic. And so there was a whole bunch of requirements where people couldn't, like you can be in large crowds. And so like, for example, a lot of stuff that I'm watching is a whole bunch of long hallway stuff because you can kind of pull that off with COVID constrictions. So I wanted that film as well. I wanted dinosaurs to take over the world and for us to kind of be wrestling with the reality of them, but we just didn't get that film. And so the film that I got was a monster movie. It was a B monster movie, but it was a monster movie. And so I was fine with it. You know, one thing I noticed was the Campbell Scott character, I thought could have been, remember the character who played in singles, who was the guy who was talking about this dream train where everyone would listen to great music and have really good coffee. And he was sort of this idealist. And I thought, that's what happens with these Gen X dreamers and how they morph into these terrible biotech bad guys. I mean, I'm thinking maybe this is just a very distant sequel to singles. Anybody? <laughs> no? I've never seen singles. He, he, he I've did, never seen singles. He didn't either. get his match. Oh. <laughs> yeah. He, <laughs> Set in I'm Seattle. So love could have saved him, but no. <laughs> I know we are trying to keep away from plot, but like I don't know. The villain, this villain was kind of silly because it's kind of felt like being evil for the sake of being evil. I think like this idea of like, I'm going to create this global catastrophe so that way everyone has to use these biogen, biosyn seeds to grow their food. I was just like, okay. Oh my gosh, that's right. I forgot. That was his motivation. That's right. It just felt like such a like, it felt like almost like an Austin Powers plot. Like not even James Bond, (laughs) Austin Powers. (laughs) Yeah, it's like Monsanto on bigger steroids, right? To be honest, I remember the locusts. I forgot what they were about. Like I forgot that they were trying to sell seeds. That's right. Which reminds me, just to jump ahead a little bit, B.D. Wong's character is... No, I did love B.D. Wong's character. I, I always love B.D. Wong. But wait, shouldn't he be in jail at the end of this film? Because like, he is responsible for everything. He's the bad guy. He's the ultimate bad guy, but I, I think they're trying to redeem his character in this film. He should still pay for the sins that he committed. I hadn't remembered exactly what he did in the previous films, but he had, you know, in a much more nicely coiffed manner, been the, the main tech guy in the first two films in this yes. series and now he's repentant and wanting to there's actually a deleted scene i don't know if you've heard about this where the velociraptors have been trained so that they can actually talk and he's about to be eaten by them and he begs their forgiveness and they say i forgive you bd wong <laughs> uh, but that was removed uh, that was a little too much <laughs> a little over the top mark i hate you i hate you so much like i don't i don't, I don't like you i'm like i really believe there was a like a deleted scene and here you come with this well, the Velociraptor becomes basically Chris Pratt's dog, right? Isn't mm-hmm. that his pet? No, no. They're supposed How to be dare you. as smart <laughs> as... That Velociraptor was a Velociraptor. They were just friends. Don't, they were just friends. Don't turn him into his dog. He wasn't his dog. That Velociraptor got real close to eating Chris Pratt a couple it's times. It's true, a couple of times. It's, I will give you that. Do you guys even remember <laughs> the, the climax of number three? I did not remember this, that you have the couple... Jurassic Park 3. Taya Leone and William H. Macy. They go to rescue okay, I will their... I say this. That movie was awesome. 
I don't remember anything from that movie, but go ahead and talk. <laughs> I enjoyed it too at the time, even though obviously it was not Spielberg anymore and it was like It was a terrible B movie, but it was great. It was, it was the death movie. of the franchise for quite a long time, you know, because it was it was not successful enough. But I felt like, no, just keep pumping them out. I'll keep going seeing these dumb dinosaur things. But the way that that movie concluded, you know, they make a big deal of how much smarter velociraptors are. Uh, at the very beginning, the main guy is, is lecturing. And it's like, like they would have become the dominant species on the planet. They would be, you know, the humans. That's how smart they are. Not like Chris Pratt's dog. It's smart enough not to eat him. And that's about it. And they use 3D printing to recreate a, basically a little flute that's made out of the vocal cavity of a velociraptor from fossils. And so then he takes this on the island. The velociraptors have been chasing the, the party to get these eggs back that the assistant of John Grant had stolen and they surround them and they totally should have eaten them. But instead they give the eggs back and he blows his little flute as if confusing them. It's like <laughs> as if the animals that were hunting suddenly like, Hey, cut it out. And so they just run off and don't kill anybody. I'm gonna let y'all finish in a second. All right. I will not stand for the slander of Blue. Y'all are slandering Blue. <laughs> Blue was very intelligent. Blue had a kid that Blue was concerned about. Blue made an agreement with Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt, bring back my baby or I'm going to eat you. Blue was not Chris Pratt's dog. Blue was Chris Pratt's partner. They were friends. <laughs> they were part. It was a partnership. It's the Blue's Clues prequel, though. Oh. And that's fine. Oh, yeah. That's fine. But Blue was very... Y'all, y'all killing me with the slander of Blue. I'm, I'm, I'm upset with how you saying Blue was stupid. That just reminds me of the interaction that Chris Pratt's character had with Jeff Goldblum, where Jeff Goldblum is just absolutely deadpan. He's just like, so you talk to dinosaurs. Like, that's that's <laughs> yeah. the thing, right? And he's yeah. just like, so you talk... And it was great characterization here, because, like, that is something Dr. Ian Malcolm would be. He just would not play with it. It's just like, what? what is this lunacy you're talking about, you know? What did you think, Florence, at the end of the knowing look that they share at the end, that Blue and Chris Pratt, that they share? It's almost like she, she could have said, thank you. She did say thank you. Th- that knowing look was her saying thank you. To the end, that was the culmination of three movies, 10 plus hours of movies where they had gone through this ordeal together from not trusting each other to now he's bringing her daughter or kid or whatever the hell that gender was back to blue. And that look was a knowing look saying, thank you. I loved it personally. I was moved. I was moved to tears. You were moved. I was not moved. I didn't care about that at all. I just think that blue was smarter than what Mark is saying. Hey, I wanted to bring up the weather situation. So I remember in actually all of the movies, they've had so much rain, all this downpour, and they really play against the weather. Whereas in this movie, they have all of this cold weather, the snow coming down. Chris Pratt is going underneath the ice and coming out. He is does not look cold. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> in the snow has their jackets open. They don't zip up their jackets when it's like 25 <laughs> degrees out. And that actually, I found distracting. I was so mad about that. I don't know. What did you guys think? Did you even notice the weather? I'm going to concede your point. I think that's a great point. Because he fell in the water and he was swimming with the dinosaur and then he gets out. It's just like, you're going to die. Like, you're not going to die by the dinosaur. You're going to die of hypothermia. Hypothermia, exactly. yeah. Exactly. And he was fine. I do remember thinking that. I think from a practical standpoint, I think usually filmmakers gravitate towards rain because of uh, when it comes to like the lighting, it just looks nicer. 
So I don't know why, I mean, that's usually why we gravitate towards wet filmmaking, right? Like, it just looks nicer when the light hits it and you get the edges and stuff. I don't know why I move into the cold here. Like, it just didn't, they're just set pieces for the sake of being set pieces. Because Bryce Dallas Howard's character was also in a tropical area and they were, like, not that far from each other. So I was just like, why is why are you in a jungle? Why is he in like a That's a good point. <laughs> was there was there mountains going? Is this, is this mountainous stuff going on? I mean, they were in the Utah, right? Well, they were in the Sierra Nevadas. I was assuming they were in California because the um, license plate was a California license plate. So they're in. I thought they were on an island. I thought they were in Utah. Well, they were. They were in so many locations. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm done. This makes no sense. I'm done. So you're talking about the beginning of the movie when she was rescuing the dinosaur that that was in California. That was, yeah, that was in California and okay. where their cabin was, where they were hiding out. That was in the Sierra Nevadas. But wasn't the end of the movie on an island? No, the end of the movie was in Utah. That was like the compound, I think, was in Utah. It was on an island. <laughs> mm, <laughs> wasn't it like a dome? Why are they bringing di- dinosaurs? To you? No, I'm, I'm dead. I'm okay, that's fine. Well, that's fine. They're saving the dinosaurs that are all over the country and bringing them to Utah to this safe haven. No, I thought that they were on an island and there was like, like wilderness around the compound, but they were contained on an island. There was wilderness around the compound and the compound was in the center of the island. That's what I thought. Right. I thought that too, but because they went to Malta before they went to that location. And I thought there has to be some reason why they're going to Malta first. I remember this because we were... T- oh, that, that's my other question. I had no idea where it's Malta is. It's by Sicily. Is. It's by Sicily. Oh, is it? <laughs> but I don't know why they went to Malta because Malta, if you break down the plot, there was no point in going to Malta because there was just the exchange. That's where... But we didn't even get to see the exchange, right? Like, we just see the girl is now in in Utah. That's where they thought they were heading. Because it was just a scavenger hunt. It was a worldwide like hunt for to figure out where all this stuff was. Apparently... It was all taking place at their headquarters, and it seems like they could have just figured that out without having to go to Malta and chase. But that was the part of the movie where I kind of drifted off a little bit, so I, I might have missed something. <laughs> Man, these are questions that honestly I don't think there are answers to. It was in Utah on an island. <laughs> yes, yeah, the, the island of Utah, because the world, that's, that's the, the world has fundamentally changed, and continents have cracked open and drifted apart thanks to <laughs> thanks to letting apparently. A couple dozen dinosaurs, only one of each kind, free at the end of the last movie. That has somehow led to this. Now they're all over the world. They've jumped oceans. They're mating and stuff, right? They're mating and stuff, right? Aren't they having kids? No, they can't, right? Because they're all female. Yeah, they're supposed to not be able to mate is the thing. But then as Dr. Ian Michael says, life finds a way. Life finds a way, man. I'm trying to tell y'all. Life well, that was the whole, that was the whole premise of the second movie, even that the first movie, it's like we've programmed them so that if they don't get the special chemical, they'll all die within a month. But oh no, there's a second island and they've just completely adapted so, to ignore that. Because that would have been inconvenient. I remember in the first one, we know that they can procreate because I remember Dr. Sam Neill, or not Dr. Sam Neill, but Dr. Alan Grant, he and the kids like find eggs and that's where they have it's like, wait, I thought they can't procreate. The eggs, that's right. That's and it's right. like life finds a way. Because they're filled in with uh, tree frog DNA or whatever. And tree frogs can maybe, <laughs> some, whatever animal that it's was. All pseudo science. Speaking of science, I had a question for everybody because I asked this on my podcast. What do you guys prefer, the scientifically accurate dinosaurs that feature feathers, or do you guys prefer like the more lizard reptilian kind of dinosaurs that we grew up with? Like, do you guys have a preference? The feather one was cool. I prefer the ones that I grew up with. I mean, that's just like when I think of dinosaurs, I think of like Jurassic, like the original Jurassic Park. 
And that's just my mind. And so to see the dinosaurs with feathers, that was weird to me. I didn't, I didn't really like it very much. I, I agree. Yeah. Sarlin? They were beautiful. I mean, the ones with feathers were really beautiful, but it didn't make any sense that that one could like also swim. You know, I thought, what? I, I mean, it's <laughs> like really, I mean, it, anyway, I, it didn't make any sense. I think I prefer the, the kind of lizardy ones too. I guess I thought it was just from different eras that they were showing up, not that they're trying to correct the science or, or say that the only reason they didn't have feathers is because of the altered DNA. You know, they're trying to, given that what we know about science now, but you're hitting on something interesting that when we grow up and we revere dinosaurs as imaginary playthings, or we have little plastic things as inevitably in these movies, some little child is playing with their dinosaur toys, you know, just kind of set us up like this is the whole appeal of it but it's like they're familiar characters and so it was so disappointing that like the brontosaurus which was like the you know brontosaurus and stegosaurus and triceratops and t-rex like those are those are the four biggies and then it turned up not even to be real that it was just like a mistake that they oh but we got brachiosaurus we got apatosaurus we got we got things that are adjacent to that those are real those are those are close enough but then it just seems like Oh man, you're making up all this stuff, but it's like things that have been discussed. I, I don't know if the, like the Spinosaurus or whatever is a real thing. I guess it is from the second movie, but just because they were more central in our psychological upbringing, for some reason, we feel like those were the most important. <laughs> There's no relation to history whatsoever. <laughs> Even just them all being alive at the same time. That's what you want because you have those memories of it as a kid and you would play with dinosaur toys and have dinosaur fights. And now you can actually see what a dinosaur does on the screen, which is exciting. Which reminds me. So, I mean, the T-Rex wasn't even in the original novel, right? Like that was added by the creative team and Steven Spielberg. Like, I'm pretty sure they're the ones who decided we're bringing the T-Rex into this film. It wasn't in the book. I don't even remember that. I doubt that. I thought somebody got eaten on the toilet in the book, but. It's been a while since I've read but the books. Was it by a T-Rex? That's interesting, though, because they also had some, I think some kids died in the original, in the first book, that Spielberg wisely decided to... He, unwise, he unwisely decided the kids should have died. Those kids should have been murked, dog. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Kids I mean, going up against dinosaurs, kids should, have, kids should die. I'm sorry. There goes your PG-13. Bye. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I'm probably comfortable with that. Well, so there's an article that I can point folks to that was specifically pointing out in the first Jurassic World movie, so the fourth movie overall, how the cruelest death, the one that was spread out the most, was the assistant to Bryce Dallas Howard, who was looking after, kindly looking after her nephews. And yeah, she was on the phone a little too much. She was British, seemed kind of annoying. But in fact, they even removed some scenes that showed her as being annoying and and bitchy because they wanted it to be a real surprise how just brutally she was just thrown about and pulled by the flying dinosaurs and eaten by the you know along with one of the flying dinosaurs by the the big thing from the sea and this was pointing out how gender things in these films is a little messed up in a way that if it was really indiscriminate as you're saying lawrence kids the slowest should be getting eaten for sure. First. I mean, that kid should have died when he got electrocuted that first time. Absolutely. Right? Like- Absolutely. <laughs> I complete. Listen, I know that we have these warm feelings about Jurassic Park and all the kind of stuff. We have these attachment to these kids who aren't acting anymore because they kind of weren't very good actors to begin with. That's the reason why they didn't bring them back. But the bottom line is that kids should have died in that first movie. Full stop. Those kids should be dead. They should not have survived. Because that makes no... 
Those kids in that kitchen would have been dead in the real world. Full stop. That's a beautiful soundbite. If isolated, it could get you in a lot of trouble, by the way. And that's the reason why no one's <laughs> going to isolate that soundbite. That's the that's reason why. No one cares enough. But no, I agree with you. And I think I don't think Hollywood has been comfortable with like just murdering children. I think it's only been uh, since it, I think is the first time we saw like an actual graphic murder of a child that comes to memory. And like that kind of opened the doors where it's just like, okay, kids are now fair game in like mainstream Hollywood films. But yeah, I'm kind of shy, you know, but kids are such a big target demo for these films that it makes sense that you're just not going to like slaughter little children. <laughs> no, as a parent, I would not take my kid to that movie. And that's not what this movie is for. This movie is for families. You that's just who said you want the movie to. to be more realistic. You want the plot to make more sense. That makes sense. <laughs> you can be, you can make it make sense in lots of different ways that are right. Lawrence. But you don't have to kill kids on screen. I don't think you're going to... That's a different movie. That's a totally different movie. And it's also rated R. So, no, I do not need that in my Jurassic World. Lawrence has been calling us all on things. I have to... So, Joseph Mazzello, who played Tim, the little boy in the first one, he is still acting. You will recognize him. He was in the the movie about Queen. He was in The Social Network. Uh, Anyway... Can look oh, him up, okay. But. No, no, no. Now that you say that, I can see him now. Okay, that's fine. I'm happy to hear that he's still acting, not in big roles, because he's not a very good actor. And the creators <laughs> at Jurassic World couldn't give him a call to be like, we need you for a cameo. Or do you think he turned him down? Like him and the other, the girl. It was probably, those- uh, the girl does not have any acting credits after a certain point. So she clearly just left the business. But you could always recast if you wanted, if you cared. I loved him. And, and I thought that, again, they were well-directed. He had less to work with and they did a great job with what they had. I want to say this, and I really want, to, really want to hit this point. Those first two films are directed by Steven Spielberg, one of the, if not the greatest director America has ever produced. Like, it's going to be hard to kind of come behind that. I used to, like, have a trouble swallowing that, like, title for him. But after West Side Story, like, that man still has it. And I realized he's just like, you know what? Like, Steven Spielberg is, like, one of our greatest it was such a phenomenal movie, and I made me realize, like, you know what? Like, Steven Spielberg, he knows the craft. They don't make them like they do. Like, him and Tom Cruise, these are dying breeds. Like, they are they are the dinosaurs of Hollywood, you know? Yeah. This has been a little easier to get a handle on. Was it Rolando? You put in the uh, the point in the notes document, this movie is a prequel to the Flintstones? That- oh, yeah, because, you know, like, at the end of the film, <laughs> like, dinosaurs and humans are all living together. So I figured, like, okay, so obviously, give it a few hundred years, like, humans evolve. We turn into the Flintstones. As Malcolm points out in the second film, it all starts with ooh, ah, and then it ends with this, the screaming and the running. Just don't make the carnivores. It's not that hard. <laughs> There's a point in the Fallen Kingdom where the girl, the clone girl, is going to let the dinosaurs that will otherwise be killed by cyanide gas loose from her mansion basement into the wild and she can push the buttons individually for the individual cages. Just don't open the ones that have the ones that will eat you. Save the <laughs> the cool ones that are merely unmanageable, but are basically like giant elephants. And, <laughs> and let the other ones die. It's so simple. <laughs> I mean, you're having a theme park. Like, I'm surprised no one thought about that, right? It's like, do we need the T-Rex? Do we need the Velociraptor? No. But didn't they say that? They did. They argued to have those because that's what people are coming for. 
And they had, remember, they would bring the goat down in the cage and they, that's what they wanted to see. They wanted to see that goat ripped apart by these. That's right. The board, again, capitalist society, we're going to figure out like the worst way to make a dollar. Sure. So what's next, do you think, for the franchise? Do you think they're going to make a a TV show starring the pilot and the assistant? Well, Um, they already have a cartoon TV show on Netflix uh, that my kids watch. Just kids running from dinosaurs in every episode? That's the plot? (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's pretty much the plot. I don't watch it with them, but they like it. Are the kids not learning anything? Oh, my God. (laughs) As far as the movies, I mean, this movie has made so much money, honestly, Despite all of our qualms with it, this movie's made so much money. I don't think they can stop making these kind of movies. They'll probably do a different story, but I don't think they can stop making these kind of movies. These movies made so much money. When the last Star Wars movie came out, and it was the disappointment that it was, and it came out that, well, Colin Trevorrow, the director of this movie, was supposed to be the director and writer of the last Star Wars movie, and things have leaked about, like, oh, they would have gone back to Coruscant. It would have been so cool. And you're sort of fantasizing, well, okay, Look at this movie that he made instead. It wouldn't have been any better. <laughs> and I saw, I'm, I'm just waiting for, because this is another one where Colin Trevorrow directed the first one, The Jurassic World, and then somebody else directed the second one, wasn't as good. So I guess they brought him back for the third one. He still co wrote the second one, he was still involved. And so I'm waiting for it like, oh, but Sam Raimi was supposed to direct the third one and he, he got out and that would have been so much better. <laughs> I'm waiting for the, stories of that sort and i feel like these fantasy movies that we fans construct in our heads of like how things should have turned out no they wouldn't have been any better <laughs> and the reason i think the rest of the world is successful and like i have rewatched that one it's just a remix of the original it's just like taking the original and just saying it's just like how do we make it better bigger dinosaurs <laughs> you know like that's it although the original did give me bryce Dallas howard running from a t-rex in those high heels which i think gay moments like right there like you know, like, absolutely. <laughs> my gay heart fluttered uh, during that scene. I know it made no sense whatsoever. Although my gay heart fluttered here in this film, Jurassic World Dominion might have been the gayest Jurassic Park. Because first of all, we have brought back, oh my God, Laura Dern. But we also, I, when we talk about the feather dinosaur, that last feather dinosaur with the long claws reminded me like a drag queen dinosaur, right? <laughs> Which is, oh, yes. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Uh, what's it go? You have the T-Rex who is more, you know, she's female, she's lesbian, she is or maybe asexual, I don't know, but she's being bullied by this homophobic big-ass dinosaur, and it took the two gay dinosaurs to bring them down. I thought, you know what? June, gay pride, this is it. This this movie <laughs> just hit all those all those points for me. And therefore, this movie is a masterpiece. Oh, yeah, no, this is Jurassic work, you know? That's that's our conclusion. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I love it. Let's let that be it. the last word. Thanks to to all three of you for doing this on such short notice. I'm glad, uh, yeah, we were going to do this a little earlier. Sarah Lynn got COVID. Lawrence had COVID before. Rolanda, have you, you gotten it yet? I haven't gotten it I yet. Have, I got, I got right. the recent one, yeah. Okay, well, we're all recovered awesome. enough to get out to the theaters and <laughs> and get it again. I, we'll it's going to be our hot back summer, finally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so long, listeners. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. You can also now get all the bonus content directly through Apple Podcasts by signing up for a paid subscription there, which gets you ad-free episodes and extra talking not only for Pretty Much Pop, but also for my other podcasts, Nakedly Examined Music and Philosophy vs. Improv. 
Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by OpenCulture.com.